0: Live juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and
1: Michael Politz. I raised my glass. Uh
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> hello everybody,
1: mean? and welcome we have hi, a- hi, hi, hi. and happy juneteenth
0: yes happy juneteenth very important um hi i'm waiting for the ups guy to get here because my books are coming in
1: they're coming in today
0: today literally today any, and second. I, and I, any second i did a promo video i want to show you Do you mind if i oh, put okay. that on real quick okay. can you are you ready let's see I, it i think i can
2: Right. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, the Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Isn't that
0: fun? What do you think of
1: that? Listen, the book is amazing, and I'm going I, to. By the
0: way, I did not fly to Jakarta to have that done. I I just want you to know. I just had it
1: done. What's exciting about your project and the book being published, and literally we're at launch date, is that the things that made a restaurant successful before are going to be the exact sorts of things that are going to make any business in the food business and food industry successful moving forward. And that part of where we go next is going to require a lot of the same essentials. But that's my my interpretation. Talk a little bit about how that book is actually going to be as meaningful in the future and as we redefine what a restaurant is.
0: I mean the book itself is how to succeed in the restaurant business, right? It's how to succeed. So you could have a restaurant you want to be if, if you want to open a restaurant, if, there's a chapter that says for twenty five thousand bucks you can open your own restaurant. Bottom line now, unbelievable because there's going to be a lot of space. I mean it's a little harder because. You have to keep people separate. You have to wear masks. I mean, there's rules to follow, but if you follow the rules, you're going to be fine. The book goes into marketing. It goes into costing. It goes into the crap that people are telling you that isn't true, right? It goes into how to respond to people like Yelp and all these people with negative reviews, right? It tells you how to cast your restaurant as the show that it's supposed to be. But the first couple chapters will tell you in your while you're reading this. It's going to help you make a decision whether you want to take this leap. And it's a leap of faith, right? And it tells you you go through the process. It's all about processes, right? So you're going to go through the process. I always talk about writing down on yellow pads. Am I boring you? You're, you're looking. No, no,
1: me. no. I'm getting a sip. Okay.
0: Oh, a sip. You, you know, you're writing down on yellow pads, all mm-hmm. kinds of, you know. So it's just a matter of working the process. And if you follow the rules, the process, you're good. It's not rocket science. It's a restaurant. And if you're nice and you've got hospitality and you're convivial, you're going to do well, right? It's true. I know you like the word conviviality, but if you have conviviality at your place of business, you're going to do well. You're going to do it's well. a matter of fact, right? The problem is lose your ego, get rid of your ego, Do you know, whatever. There's a lot of, a lot of things that you have to get rid of, right? And most of it has to do, Jennifer, I think the books just got here. I'm not even going to go get them. I'm looking out. I see the UPS guy bending over. It's Yay! either the books or something is else is going market. on out
1: there. Yay! I'm good,
0: well, you know what? We're going to get the next guest up. The first guest. I mean, this guy's a legend. You hear well, the doorbell. Now the dog goes. Here we go. This is called working from home. This is called quarantine. Fabulousness. We're going to open this book live. I hope you're going to invite and announce the guest right now. I'm going to put him on. I'm going to run we out and get the, give book.
1: the introduction. We're going to interrupt him.
0: So don't get him on a tangent. We're going to interrupt the guy, and we're going to open the book. Okay, go ahead. Who's our first guest? Who's coming up, Jen? Who is it?
1: The broadband name is legendary in the wine world for being negociants and auctioneers and purveyors, and they make beautiful wines, but they've been in the wine world a long time, sort of. Even before those of us in North America knew, Yeah,
0: speed it up! I want to get to the doors. Oh, it up.
1: Bartholomew Broadbent get... joins us now from his uh, <laughs> studio and uh, offices in Richmond, Virginia. We welcome him to Food and Beverage Magazine Live. Bartholomew, how are you?
2: I'm great. I'm just listening to you guys, thinking you're completely nuts, and I love it.
1: We're a little. Well, nice.
2: Jennifer
0: is nuts. She's actually certified, certified nuts. She's a certified pecan grower. Is that true? Certified nuts?
1: I actually just lease the land, but I'll take it.
0: You lease the land? I love that. All right. You guys chit chat. I'll be back. This is the magic of
2: television. Go get your book.
1: Go get the book. Hey, Bartholomew Broadbent joins us, and I want to do a little bit more of an introduction because I, I think it's really important for people to understand the reason why on this Juneteenth day of uh, before Father's Day that I thought long and hard about all the people that we could invite on. And we had actually scheduled you to be on with us last week. And we had some technical difficulties uh, due to the wildfires, which sadly are still burning, but we've worked out the technological bits. And we arranged for you to, to be on today. And I was going to have you on with other guests. And then I thought a lot about it. And, and part of the reason today is such a better fit for you is because it is Father's Day. And we wanted to make sure that we talked about your father and the legacy of of his work in the wine world and in Broadbent Selections. Um, one of the most revered and legendary um, men in in the wine world. Um, and I also wanted to comment on something that came about just in the last couple of days on Facebook. There's a marvelous auction taking place. And you want to know how small the wine world and the food world are. We were commenting on the auction and the collection. We, we, we don't want
0: to know. We don't want to tell them. It's a surprise, isn't it? Why do you ruining all the surprises today? Is it a surprise or is
1: it not? Well I understood, it, it's a it, surprise. Okay. Well, we're having a surprise later. So, And is the book here?
0: I, I don't know. I got a box. Shall so we open it?
1: You, thank you for being here and being a good sport while we have this. All right.
0: Surprise. Good seeing you. Guys. No, you're staying done. on. We're not done with you. <laughs> Only a, a true legend like yourself can be here at a moment like
3: this.
0: That's
2: a, shall we open it, Jen? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Not,
2: live on, Facebook? Live on Facebook. Facebook? This is like the complete opposite of Kitchen Confidential. It's telling you how to do it, not how not to do it. Right? Wait a minute. That's yeah, the wrong box. Actually. Can
0: you believe it? That's the wrong box. I'm not even kidding. Hold on. You guys keep chatting. I'll be back.
1: (laughs) Anyway, Bartholomew Broadbent, welcome. Let's talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. Broadbent Selections, a wine label that can be found virtually coast to coast with some of the most extraordinary varietals and and, um, lovely expressions of wines of their type. Um Many of which you've helped to publicize and introduce us to educate us about and delight us with let's talk about your wine world. Tell us about broadband selections.
2: so um broadband selections um, do you want me do you want me to go back a little bit to my my life in the wine world um, Absolutely. it works up to that bit about broadband selections
1: do you have a sip with you? Are you sipping something now?
2: I have this bottle with me.
1: And I have a sip too, so cheers.
2: Cheers. Um, so yeah, basically, I grew up in the wine business. My father, as you um, alluded, is called Michael Broadbent. He um, started the wine auctions in uh at Christie's in 1966, and then he started um auctions in America for Hubeline and then the Napa Valley Wine Auction with uh, Bob Mondavi. And um, his world was it was wine auctions. Then he wrote a couple of books. Um, one which I see you got a James Beard Award, and and his also won the James Beard Award for this one, the uh, Vintage Wine, which is basically his tasting notes um, on wine. But then he also wrote four hundred and thirty three consecutive monthly columns for Decanter magazine. Um, then last year, um, last year he, uh, well, he turned ninety two last year uh, on May 2nd. On April, so on May 1st, he published his last book, which is this one called Wine Tasting. Um, And on April 25th of last year, he got married for the second time. Wow. But then unfortunately in June, he fell off a chair and broke his back. Um, But um, don't worry, they fixed the chair. When he was
0: um, married. Are you sure he fell off the chair? Is that just what he? Uh, you, by the way, look very good for a baby. So you're recently. He's he just got married the Dad, and then he had Bartholomew. See what that's I'm right.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he matured
0: yeah. very quickly and well. What do you think? Jeff? In
2: one year, I've gone from uh, zero to fifty-eight. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's that's wine for So anyway, so he he died this year. In, in March, no, don't worry, it was, it was his time No, he I'm worried the,
0: about the. I'm worried about the new wife and
2: the, and the problems of the family. Yeah, well, he had a short-lived marriage I <laughs> suppose. But um, anyway, he. So he. That was in England, and I'm. I live in Richmond, Virginia, so I'm. I'm stuck here. But anyway, when I left, um, I left England when I was twenty to go and work for a company in Canada. I worked there for four years and met the Symington family who gave me a job in the US to start a company for them and to teach Americans about Port and Madeira. So for the next 10 years, I, I was um, teaching Americans about Port and Madeira all over the country. So I reached the glass ceiling. I, I didn't marry one of her daughters. I had to leave. I I'd, I'd met a girl and, um, and I, I thought she said virgin, but it turned out to be Virginia. So now I live in Virginia, Richmond. Um, uh, and I've been here for about 12, 13 years. Jennifer,
0: Jennifer, I'm seeing a broadband pattern of fine young ladies and the men <laughs> of the broadband family. That's what I'm saying here right now. The wine and the young ladies, they'll do anything for these girls.
1: You know what? Yeah. If you wanted to talk about how to do things right, to enjoy your life, to work in something about which you have enormous passion, that you can share with others in the spirit of conviviality. Uh, That idea of living well is the best revenge. I I think this is a testament to that. And on this Father's Day weekend, um, and I I wanted to say, you know, our condolences on the loss of your dad. But when he's such a giant in the world of of wine, it really is a loss for, for all of us. And so we all have to say... You know how sorry we were that you that you lost him, but let's talk so a little what bit. What you're
0: saying is you're saying that his dad had all the knowledge and the power and the abilities in wine, and Bartholomew was just a guy that lives in Richmond and drinks good wine. What are yeah. you saying, Jennifer? What is that? What is it she's saying? Are you picking up what i saying? Right. All right, I'm just
2: making sure we're picking up the same thing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. Wow, Jen. I, I mean, you know I how to make a
0: you know how to make
2: a guy feel good. This can be a really short interview, can't it? <laughs> right? My God.
1: I want to point out the obvious, which I'm actually quite adept at. If you go back to the original James Beard Award winning book about vintage wines, when the auction businesses started in the 1960s, Bartholomew, we would talk about the kinds of wines that would make it to auction. And they were, you know, Clarets and Bordeaux's and Burgundies and Ports and Madeiras and maybe some champagnes and and maybe some brandies and Armagnacs. Um, Talk a little bit about what that world used to mean and how the world has become aware of what that collecting, oh, there, I'm sorry, there goes the question. Michael, congratulations.
0: Live, by (laughs) the way, Bartholomew, (laughs) this makes us family now.
2: Yeah, no, James Beard Award coming your way too, I'm sure.
0: There it is, guys. Oh, wow. That's wow. Pretty cool.
1: Congratulations. 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 You you That's awesome.
2: Yeah, fantastic. So how do, we order that? how do we order that?
0: Oh, I, I, you don't have to order it. We'll send you one. But it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million supposed to be in more bookstores, but I don't know what's going on with the you – know, if they're even open right
2: now. Well, you're, you're going to sell a lot more because the only place you can buy this one is on my website, broadbent.com. Um, what?
0: Um, I, and now you can pick up Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success at broadbent.com. That was so nice yeah. of you to offer that, Bartholomew. Ah. Okay. I'm swe- you know what I smell? You know what I smell? James be- I smell James Beard Award. I smell a James Beard Award. <laughs> New book. All right, you guys keep talking. I don't want to interrupt. This is horrible of me with such a celebrity. Sorry right. about that, Jennifer. Don't right. worry.
2: I love it. I love it. It's oh,
0: awesome. well, look who's on? Now the guest just popped on. Let's bring her in and then you guys okay. can talk and then I can disappear for a minute. Ready? Well,
1: okay, enjoy to- your so, uh, so, recently, last couple of days, uh, Bartholomew, I-, I do want to talk about the auction business, but you were commenting that an auction is coming up. And it was a seller of, and I'll let you tell the story, and, and it ties together with the guest who's joining us today.
2: So there's a guy called Ben Ichinose. Um, ben Ichinose is a, a Japanese-American. Um, he was a, in the dentistry business in, in California. And in the 1960s, he fell in love with wine and he started collecting wine. And Back then, the wine auction business was just taking off. It, you could buy the legendary wines um, for a pint. And he built one of the finest cellars in the world. Um, and he died uh, last year. And he, uh, his seller is going up for auction uh, July 16th at Christie's online. And... I apologize for most of the guests probably won't be able to afford some of these wines, but, um, wow. Wow.
0: Wow. Is he underestimating our audience? Go ahead.
2: It's one of the greatest wine sellers ever to come to auction. There's a, there's a wine from 1730. Um, there are all the legendary great Bordeaux and Burgundies. And I was, um, staying with the family who, the house in California in January, just before lockdown, and I went to see the cellar. It was, it's a spectacular cellar. It, perfect conditions. Um, he had three main compart- rooms, basically, uh, for his fifty five thousand uh, dollar fifty five thousand bottle collection. Wow. Um, one one room was um, about fifty. 58 degrees or 55 degrees, which is you know, a room uh, cellar temperature. And then another one, the coldest part was 48. So the ports and Madeiras he kept at sort of 55 um, because he wanted those to age normally. But the really great Bordeaux and other wines, which are more fragile, he kept those at um, cooler temperatures. So basically, these wines have been stored um, better than any other wine cellar in the world because they were designed. the House was basically built. They didn't even move into it until the cellar was built. Um, it's uh, it's just a great cellar. Um, on my Facebook page, which is the Bartholomew Broadbent Facebook, um, you can check out the press release. And then I'm going to be posting the catalog in the next few days, just so people can see it because it's it's. Well, it's, send, it
0: it's Jennifer, send it to us. Jennifer "Send yeah. it to us so we can
2: run it in the magazine as well." Yeah, yeah, well, I'll get Chrissy's. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you'll see. We'll
1: it. Make that happen. Uh, he kind
2: of didn't like that I said that.
0: Did you hear? He was like, yeah, okay, whatever. No, you're welcome. To, you're welcome. To, I'll no, get it. it's okay.
1: It's okay. Right. <laughs> just so, a small yeah. country.
0: that We just get read by a small country every month. That's all. Go ahead. Yeah. Back to you, Jen.
2: <laughs> no, but Introduce I mean, the next guest so we can interview with her. He's going to get so excited. She's going to be far more interesting than your current guest, obviously. Not as pretty no. as
0: my current guest.
2: Not as pretty. She'll, she's got a tattoo, uh, of the Broadbent Crest um, <laughs> tattooed to her.
0: I'm getting a broad – let me just show everybody that, if, I, if it'll work. Let's see if it'll work and you can see – look at this. Look and at what, this. This is
2: gorgeous. And where are you having it tattooed?
0: I'm not allowed to say on a live stream uh, program. I'm afraid that we'll get banned. We don't want to be banned in live stream. But I can tell you. But um, Oh, he said the word. He said the word. Right. But <laughs> I can tell you.
2: But, but you know what it is. You know.
0: <laughs> Nevertheless, I can tell you that. All right. But Go ahead, Jennifer. Introduce.
1: Introduce. All so right. That we can so, have a nice we're going to jump around a bit today. And I want to make sure before we do anything else, though, that we talk about the wines that are the perfect summer wines that are broadband selections, including one of my all-time favorites, the Vino Verde, a Portuguese wine that is the ultimate warm weather luncheon wine. If you're not going to have a Rosé, have a Vino Verde. I think it's one of the most food-friendly wines in the world. I think it's completely underappreciated, and one of the best expressions of it anywhere is the Broadbent. I've been fangirling and gushing over this for many years on Facebook, and poor Bartholomew's like, who is this bloody woman in Arizona who keeps tap-tap-tapping me to say hello and Cheers.
2: But well, it's interesting is because it's when Cosmopolitan just um, named the rosé version of our Broadbent Bina Verde as the best um, rosé for spring. And that's when you contacted me and said, hey, come on the show and talk about it. Um, yeah. I don't have a bottle of the rosé next to me, but I do have the, this one, and, and, and it's a really good selling wine. We, we, and, we,
1: and, we should, and last week you were going to be on because a week ago, Saturday, was uh, National Rosé Day.
2: Right, Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow is National Chenin Blanc Day, and there are going to be lots of shenanigans around that.
1: <laughs> so as we were going back and forth on Facebook and the announcement of the Ichino's co- collection um, was was brought up and we were commenting on it, one of our all-time favorite uh, food friends, uh, friends in the business, said, hey, I know that seller. And we had this fantastic small world connection and conversation and the one and only carol chin who's originally from the bay area of san francisco and whose dad was friends with the good doctor who put this legendary seller together had said i know that and said come on on and let's talk about this so carol chin the living legend welcome
3: back the legend <laughs> i'm just gonna keep coming back with nothing else for the Chirons. i mean they make my whole day
2: <laughs> <laughs> better be a living legend than a not a living
3: one. Now, Carol, yes. have you
2: ever worked with Bartholomew on an event?
3: Um, I'm sure. I just, I produced a lot of food and wine festivals. So I feel like I'm back in the days of either the Bon Appetit Wine and Spirits focus with Andy Blue or, you're not through Southern, are you?
2: No, not at all. I used to be on yeah. the those, um, tasting panel. Bon exactly. Okay.
3: So it would have been those. Um, well, um, the Food Network Festival is Southern, so they blocked yeah, out a lot doing- of.
2: I was uh, the director of um, the Reserve Tastings for Food and Wine Classic in Aspen for 25 years, so we might have sure. crossed paths there. But we definitely I,
3: crossed paths, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And that's where I had first met Bartholomew, so at the top of the mountain, as they say. Um, <laughs> one of the things, Carol, that was so astonishing to me as I did a little bit more research on this upcoming auction and this extraordinary collection was a seller of 55 thousand bottles each of which was curated with extraordinary connoisseurship and discernment Bartholomew did your dad help put this collection together?
2: Well certainly a lot of it came from the Christie's wine auctions in the 60s and, and 70s um, you know famous sellers like the Blair Castle and and, um, and um, many back then so Prior to nineteen sixty six there were no wine auctions. So when my father started the wine auctions, he just went round Europe and England and Scotland and uh, France Germany, wherever Austria pillaging the great sellers of the world mm-hmm. and um basically uh, you know, people had no way to sell wine before that so and you know, maybe someone 's grandfather had a great wine collection but um the kids had no interest in wine, and there were some cellars which, which hadn't been opened for two generations, wow. um, and these all came up for auctions in the sixties and seventies, and they became, you know, Gl- Glanz Castle, and and they were l- just legendary um, cellars. And the American uh, collectors started collecting these wines, and there were some really famous. Sellers like Lou Skinner and Marvin Overton and Lloyd Flat and, and Benicinosi is one of them and all the others have been sold. So this is really the, the last one that I'm uh, aware of and it is uh, probably the last great seller to come up for auction, which has the perfect provenance that you know where the wines have come from um, and they've been perfectly stored even to the extent that the cellar was um, earthquake-proofed. Um, so, you know a lot of wine collectors now might find uh collections of wines, but you really don't know where the wines have been There's been a lot of um fraud in the wine uh collecting world uh but this particular cellar is is um second to none it's it's got perfect provenance um and so yeah, so it's, it's really exciting. It's going online at Christie's on, uh, on July 16th. It'll be up for a few days. And if you've got the, the money and the, and the thirst for the greatest wines in the world, this is going to be the place. Some of these wines have never been auctioned before. Uh, literally, some wines have never appeared in an auction before.
1: And some of these will be unique examples of what they are.
2: Yeah, some are totally unique. And, and he, he was so well-respected by Lourdes from Ikem and uh, the owners of Domaine de la Romanie and great champagne producers. And he had bottlings, uh, labels made for him, for him, which is almost unheard of from those sort of caliber producers.
1: So I'm going to turn the tables over to our friend Carol Chin, who was a young woman, grew up in a family that had its traditions in both the restaurant and hospitality world and her dad was, your dad was in, in uh, dentistry as well and was friends with uh, Dr. Ben.
3: Yeah. And I actually, I so I did check in with my parents when I heard this cause it uh, it was just surprising to all of us. But um, my dad was actually roommates with Ben <laughs> in dental school. Um, so he, and they had a third friend, Richard Louie, who was actually a pharmacy student, but they all went to UCSF together. Um, so they uh, they all went to UC Berkeley together and then moved to San Francisco and went to UCSF together. Wow. Um, yeah. And they, they all remain friends. My dad um, stayed with UCSF as a professor for nearly 50 years. And then Ben went into private practice down the peninsula.
1: And you have a story about actually going to the home and actually, you, you know, this seller.
3: Yeah. Well, I think I was a little too young. Uh, unfortunately, the marvels of it were were lost on me because I was a teenager. But I do remember going to this house and just being just blown away by how beautiful the ground, you know, the koi pond, the, the, the grounds are just beautiful. Um, and they had this sort of fabulous, is it octagonal like atrium? I mean, just it's a really... Um stunning house. and so, as a young person, I was of course impressed by that. But I think the thing that caught my eye, his daughter, who um they're they're not too they're pretty close to my age. um his daughter oh, had cool. a bedroom who um, that had one of those round sort of pink round beds and and you know her own phone line with a phone like a princess phone and I just remember thinking that was nothing could be more fabulous than that but so my parents would actually go to dinner at the house fairly often I guess they would um, go down and, and and they would dine I guess they would do the first course in the cellar and then move but my mom and dad and so the story that was kind of related to me today was, that I thought was cute was my dad, um, they were served this cream of romaine soup. And I guess Mayan had studied, you know, gone and studied cooking and because they loved to entertain and they loved wine. it just made sense that she became this very accomplished chef. Oh, there you go. Koi pond.
2: That was um, in their back. That was their garden, the Japanese garden. Wow. And, and you
3: know, just like one has in their backyard. (laughs) (laughs) But so my, um, my, parents recalled this incident where they were having dinner at the house. What's that one? Oh, oh, that's, the wow. seller.
2: that's part of a the cellar. They should send that wow. to Michael so they can put it up. Wow.
3: <laughs> but they were having this dinner and the soup and it was really, um, you know, it was really good. And I guess Dr. Chinosi looked over at his wife and said, you know, very sort of uh, graciously, it was like very good mayon. And so my dad, after that would kind of joke with my mom every time, either if she she got the recipe from Mayon and it, whenever she made the soup, or if she just something that he really liked her cooking, he would look over at my mom and, and be very affected and be like, Very good, Brenda. Um, and <laughs> I was like, what, you, what? And they were like, It's a joke. Never mind.
1: But now you but know my, the whole story.
3: Yeah. But my dad said um, part of why they just thought it was so so funny that how grand that house was and, and their lifestyle was because I guess as a student um he was a little bit of a slob. My dad said as a roommate, he was kind of the one who would like throw his laundry you know on the floor and, and wouldn't pick up after himself. So they all had a giggle that he be, ended up being so wildly successful in
2: leading his, his his wife Mayan was so such a good influence on that. There you go.
3: (laughs) You know, so
1: Bartholomew, one of the reasons I wanted to have you and Carol on today to have this conversation, and Carol was, was kind of cute about it. She said, well, you don't need me on. And I said, it's really important for people to know that everything that happens in the food and wine world comes from a sense of continuity. You know, when the bottles have a provenance, it means you know where the bottles came from. And you can tell what the bottles are and how well they've been kept. But in a broader sense, all of us have been taught by the people who were taught by the people that were taught by Michael Broadbent or Escoffier or the living legends of their time. And for there to be continuity for us to pass on, we become the conduits and the stewards of these stories these these collections, these not only traditions, but responsibilities. Bartholomew, you have the responsibility, born of passion, to introduce the world to these great wines. And Carol is a marvelous storyteller. And in her own right, um, uh, I, th- I think the word um, um, that I'm looking for is is it like an impresario. But I think it's impresarious. <laughs> hmm. Because... We are part of that continuity, and I wanted to have a uh, conversation about continuity when it seems like everything in the food and hospitality world has hit a brick wall with the COVID, and up to as many as 70% of restaurants may not open, and our traditions are stunted and halted. I wanted Mm. to talk about how important each of you thinks that notion of legacy and continuity is, and how each of you feels a certain connection to both the past and the future through what you do. My uh, Bartholomew, I'm going to let you start with that.
2: Well, that's a difficult question. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting. There are very, very few businesses which can last for six, seven hundred, eight hundred years. We we actually represent two wineries, um, uh, Bindi Casadi from um, uh, from Italy and. Louis Guntram from Germany, and they're both um, like from the 1300s, 1400s, wow. um, and and they're they're ancient businesses, and there are very very few businesses in the world which get handed down generation to generation and can thrive and and really, um, you know, when when I started Broadbent Selections, um, I I started that in 1996, and it's a new company, um, although my family has been in the wine business um, with my father for, for um, decades. Um, but broadband selections, you know, people say, well, what's your extra ex- exit strategy? What's your, what are you going to do with it? And I, I, I say, well, hopefully my grandchildren will want to, to run it. Um, Maybe my, hopefully my children will want to run it. It's up to them that, you know, if they don't, they'll they'll sell it. But I I have no, I don't start, this is a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not a job. It's not a a business that you start to sell. It's a, it's, it's about um, really, really long-term future um, planning.
1: Carol, I'll give you a shot at this. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a big one.
3: I think um it is it is important for us to to continue those stories and and keep those stories alive. Um I don't have a family connection since my dad was a dentist, but actually your comment brings to mind something else my mom said when they were touring through the cellar one time and just remarking on how big of a collection it was, I guess Dr. Genozzi said something like, not even my grandchildren, Louise's grandchildren will never be able to drink all this wine. <laughs> so um, he knew <laughs> he had a quite a, quite a collection. Um, I think um, I, I guess I came to it very lucky that my first job was with Jeremiah Tower, who we talked about on the last time I was on the show and, um, since that was sort of my introduction to the world of food and wine, I don't think there's a better person I could have had a, that introduction from. Um, literally working with him, you know, meeting Julia Child and Chuck Williams from William sonoma um, We had a dinner at, J- at Jeremiah's house um, with Richard Olney and he had brought Lu- Lulu from um, Tempier, and, you know, cooked a dinner in the house. Like things like that is a 20, I think it was 25. I mean, who gets to do that? So um, I was lucky that that was my intro, um, and I kind of hope that I always. Whenever people say, "What's the best advice you have for young people in this business?" It's always to get a mentor, um, and I thank God that mine was was as influential and and um, successful as as mine was. But
2: I <laughs> that's why we would have probably met first, because um, I moved to San Francisco in 1986, and no. Oh. Um, of course, Jeremiah. Soon after that, opened um, stars, and, and we became friends. And my roommate um, boyfriend was a great friend of uh, Jeremiah. But I would have met you back then, probably if if you were there at that time.
3: I was JT's assistant for three years, so ninety three to ninety six.
0: Carol, do you have any young pictures of yourself? Maybe we can look. It'll shake his memory a little bit.
2: She doesn't look <laughs> old enough to have been there but I know, right? That's
3: the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I can find one or two, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, was lucky enough. I think because I, that was my entree into the world. I, I do appreciate, you know, the connection to the, to those that came before. And uh, I hope that the young people today will take that to heart and, and seek out mentors. It may not be, as formal of a system as it was in you know, the, the kitchens of Europe before. Um, but I think it's incredibly important to have someone to kind of take you under their wing and, and tell you things that are not taught in school, maybe, you know, life lessons.
0: Um, do you think, Carol and Bartholomew, that, that chefs today, young chefs, and Carol, you know, you work with these people. Do you sometimes feel that, that their egos get in the way and they don't take mentors? Right, they don't. They don't ask for the mentorship. Like, is, is I, you and I,
3: I think both. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, sorry. I just. I think it's just oh. this instant gratification. You know, like you can. I don't need to go to Italy. I can look it up on YouTube. You know, I don't need to go study with a Nona how to make pasta. I can just go on YouTube. It's. I worry that things have. You know, when I age myself, but when I started, there was no internet. There was no Google. There was no eater. You know, I if I wanted to learn about a restaurant, I had to go. <laughs>
0: But there was a really? Bartholomew Broadbent when you started, wasn't there? Sure. Because think about it. All the chefs that we know, how many can we honestly say that, that we see young, I'm not going to say kids, but younger people looking at them as mentors, right? You very, like, even if you're hanging, like, and you and I are around these guys all the time, you would know if they were mentoring people, right? Not that they don't want to, but I think that these these kids are so egotistical, some of these guys, that they just think they know it all, right? And they Mm -hmm. don't ask. Like I listen. My mentor was Robin Leach. You know, I went everywhere and did everything I could with that guy because I needed to learn how those writers on Fleet Street wrote. How do you become successful? Have you heard of Fleet Street before, Bartholomew? I'm just wondering.
2: I mean, what? Sorry, what was your question? If you had heard of Fleet Street before? Oh yeah, Fleet Street. My my sister lives off Fleet Street. Yeah,
0: right. But I learned from a writer from Fleet Street, right? A guy that worked for Rupert Murdoch for many many years. No, so I would go everywhere. I would
2: Everyone learn everything. I was thinking about what you were saying about um, restaurateurs. Uh, you know, the restaurant business is is a weird business. It's one of the only businesses which um, glorifies people who enter it and have no experience uh, or track record versus the great restaurateurs. You know, great, great people in fields of law or any other field—they they work and they become great as they age. And restaurateurs, like if Jeremiah was cooking now, he would he would be great. He'd be—he's a legend. But um, these young whippersnappers come into the business, start a restaurant, get all the the, the, the hot new press, and it's ridiculous. They have no no um, experience and no track record. Um, you know, It's kind of the same, same way I feel about wines. I get very annoyed with wineries, which they, someone starts a winery and comes out the gate with a, a wine that's $150 a bottle. You earn, you, you've got to work up to that sort of um, stature. Uh, it's ridiculous.
0: I mean, Jennifer, I don't know if Bartholomew knew, but Jennifer would follow Julia Child around like a puppy for years.
3: I don't know really,
2: if
3: you can see that. That's. I was at it. Stars in probably 1994. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> can I tell you oh. my uh, Julia story? Julia yes, story. please. So, you know, I'm in the, I make Madeira. Madeira. I'm in the Madeira business. And when I was running the food and wine classic in Athens, the, um, the reserve tastings, I was doing a Madeira tasting. And. Um, I invited Julia Child uh, and Robert Parker to come on the panel and a couple of Canadian guys, um, David Girlfield and Robert Simpson. And right before the tasting, Julia um, came up to me and said, bananas, you've got to have bananas. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the best food and wine pairing in the world are Madeira and bananas. And so I went to the, the guy at the Little Nail and said, we've got to have bananas. So. They went off, I think they actually went to a shop and bought some bananas and sliced them up. And, and we had a little dish in front of each um, taster with some bananas on them. And at the end of uh, the tasting, one of the tasters in the audience put up their hand and said, can I ask a question? I said, sure. And he said, well, can you tell us why we have bananas in front of us? And I said to Julia, I said, Julia, can you tell uh, them why you wanted bananas? and uh, she looked at me and said, "Oh dear, I can't remember." <laughs> <laughs> I've lived off that story for a long time. Obviously.
1: So, um, Bartholomew, uh, we were in um, we were in Napa at the opening of Copia, the American Museum of Wine, Food, and Art, and I followed Julia around. That's a bit of an exaggeration. I'm originally from from Newton, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. And we had mutual family friends like Carolyn the Ichinosis, and, and, and I was very lucky, even as a young person, I trick or treated at Julia's house. Oh, okay. wow. So we would see her at Captain Martin's fish market, or we would see her at John Dewar's meat market. But the reason okay, I'm telling here, this, this story good. oh, there we go
3: Maya and Julia. It's a dinner we did at Stars in '94. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, here.
1: no, that's we'll fantastic. That's lovely. (laughs) That's awesome. And so we were seated outside the restaurant, Bartholomew, uh, that bore her name. It was Julia's Kitchen. And I lifted my glass to hers and I said, Julia, what was the toast that you shared in your home with your husband, Paul, when you entertained your guests? And she clinked her glass to mine and she said, le carillon de l'amitié, the bells of friendship. And so when I go places, especially with young people, I give them that toast and I tell them that it's their gift from Julia. I just happen to carry it to the party. And I, and I charge them to go forward and to share that toast and clink glasses with friends old and new that they meet along the convivial trail And spread that conviviality that was so much a part of what Julia loved about all this. And you and your dad and Jeremiah. And it's what we love. It's not merely the food or just the sip. It's the entire experience. And so I hope that these young people will go forward and make this toast and share it with friends old and new when they clink glasses. But it's that tradition of clinking glasses I want to come back to, Bartholomew. When we think of Jeremiah and stars, of course, there's a little bit of vuv in a in a flute. But let's talk a little bit about the great traditions because we're going into a Father's Day weekend. We might want to choose something um, celebratory. Um, We use wines in the most important moments of our lives. We make toasts, declarations, utterances that are so important to memorialize these times. I'm going to turn to you and say. Help us a little bit with uh, the kinds of things that keep these traditions alive.
2: Have you ever had English sparkling wine, Gusborn? I've not had Gusborn. Gusborn is is the top producer of English sparkling wine. And talking of uh, um, celebrations and Father's Day, this is what I would give my My father was a huge fan of. He drank champagne every morning for breakfast, but by the end, he had switched to English sparkling wine because um, you might not know this, but um, sparkling wine was actually invented in England by the Roman during Roman times. And now the climate changed back then, but now that the climate is changing again, England actually has the perfect um, um, climate for making. Uh, great Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and they also have the soil that comes out from the white cliffs of Dover and it's the same soil that's in Prince and Champagne um, but it's also got um, some varieties of soil in England so it's actually making even more complex wines and, and, and that's what I would celebrate with tomorrow For um, And is
1: that something we can find in um, in our better shops? Tell me about that wine and where we can find it
2: yeah, so you can, unfortunately, so we launched this a few a couple of years ago in, in America, and 95% of it was sold in restaurants, which is a, a little bit of a, a problem because obviously the restaurant business market has collapsed unsadly for the moment. Um, you could order this from your local wine shop. It's in most states, so you go up to your favorite wine shop and say, I want to taste the Gusbourne, I want to buy the Gusbourne. Um, if you don't have time, um, well, wine.com ships to most states as yep. well, and they they would have it. Um, well, and a lot but, of restaurants are <laughs> selling their cellars now too. Yeah, yeah, sadly, um, uh, our biggest selling wine is called Spy Valley from New Zealand. Um, so, but but really, for for summer, it's things like Vino. You know, Vina Verde, in this lockdown, this wine has just taken off. By the way, this flower was painted by my my niece when she was four years old.
1: It's Um, fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's been a huge success. Um, But, yeah, so traditions, by the way, you mentioned clinking of glasses. Um, That used to be a very uh, bad thing to do because it was a show, show a sign of um, distrust because the reason... They used to clink glasses originally was when they had pewter uh, mugs and they would hash um, them together so that some went from one into the other and the other into the other in case there was poison in one of them. Um, oh. so, so it fell out of fashion in England. You don't really clink glasses anymore in England. It's a bit, bit of an American thing.
1: Um let's talk a little bit there seems to be a wonderful relationship between the Broadbent name and Broadbent selections and the products from Portugal that historically were the wines of you know the port the madeiras and and we didn't see as much of the actual still wines from Portugal we we had those what I'll call let's say fortified or specialty wines can you talk a little bit of, about how it how we've made that transition from almost exclusively Enjoying the the, the ports in Madeiras to embracing all of these marvelous wines from that portion of the Iberian Peninsula.
2: Yeah, well, as Carol used to say, any time spent not drinking port is time wasted. Um, But but, I'm I'm actually just wandering around in my office to pick up a couple of bottles because you prompted me. Yeah, I love the show and tell.
3: I love this. We uh
2: we we are just launching right now. Um, our range of Portuguese wines. This is the Dow White. Um, This is the Reserve Red. Oh, wow. And this is our... um, Sorry, this is the Douro Red, and this is the Reserve Red. And so Portuguese wines um, are spectacularly good. They were basically um, discovered when when the English were at war with France and we had to stop buying wines from Bordeaux, the English merchants went to look for the equivalent quality wines around the world, and, of course, the world back then was Europe, Um, and they found that in northern Portugal along the Douro River, they made very similar wines to Bordeaux, and they started shipping these wines back to England, and the long sea journey and primitive winemaking methods broke them up, so they added brandy to the wine to make them into port. Um, But now, recently, in the past 25 years, um, it's been sort of rediscovered that uh, Portugal's, the reason port was invented was because the table wines were fantastic. And so um, they've been having a bit of a uh, revival, um, well, a relaunch, basically. Um, And uh, I spent the past 20 uh, 20 years Selling Portuguese wines, and then this year we've we've just launched. Well, we always had the, we've had the Broadbent Vina Verde for about um, ooh, fifteen years or so, yeah. uh, but we've just launched these this this new range of wines from from Portugal. um you up up the of, Yeah, It's so all.
3: It's the same flower from the. the same
2: flower. We've tweaked it. We've. Uh, uh, my my niece, who was four when she originally painted this flower, is now 21, and she's she's saying, "Hey, where's my?" Um, <laughs> and I as said, she should. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you
3: can pay her in wine now. She's legal. Yeah, I,
2: I thought I'd give her the wine when she got married. I'd supply the wine at her wedding, and I just hope she becomes a nun or something. That's a fair right. trade. <laughs>
3: hey, I
1: want to. Um, I want to bring Carol back in, and and Michael, please join us on this. One of the things um, I heard about Portuguese wines and and I share it sometimes with people, it's like finding diamonds at bargain basement prices, because at the time the rest of the world went crazy and wine had to be expensive and it had to be, you know, it had to, it had to be in the spectator and it had to be in this and everybody, it had to have conformed all of these sort of externals and the world, the proliferation of wines from around the world, hit our shores and our stores. And somewhere along the way, we kind of lost the common sense that comes from putting something in your glass, smelling it, sipping it, and deciding, boy, does that really taste good to me or not? Would you would you address where we've come back to in wine from those heady days when 100-point spectator scores and all of that seemed to drive things a little bit more than they do today. And how was it that Portugal seemed to be spared, if you will, from that madness?
2: I think you're addressing you that to me
0: or to
3: Bartholomew? I don't know.
0: I mean, I prefer my wine from a box.
3: Because <laughs> 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 you're classy that way, in, Michael.
0: Now now I can get it in a can about that. <laughs> and not only that, Bartholomew, you can drink your wine from a can in the
1: can. How about that? That's classic,
2: Michael. classic. <laughs> We're going to put you back in the box in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's 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 true that um, Portugal has been trying to break out into the world for the past twenty-five years. But I think what <laughs> has helped. <coughs> hey, shush! Go. Sorry, that's my dog. Um, <coughs> Uh, what so well, certainly
0: wasn't your
2: cat. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> hey, look. Um, uh, what has helped other regions like Spain is the fact of um, you know, tapas restaurants were very popular. Spanish food was popular. Italian food is popular. So, so Portugal, the food is fantastic in Portugal, but it hasn't really broken into the US as a as a um, ethnic food that people are, are opening restaurants with. Um, so it hasn't had that sort of leg up um, uh, sadly. But you know, when I started Broadbent Selections um, my goal was to represent the finest wines from each region and of course back in 96 um, the best French wines and Italian wines were already represented so I went to the emerging regions like Portugal and Lebanon and um, South Africa and even New Zealand was was fairly new back then, and Chile and Argentina. Um, but it's some, some places have been really easy, like New Zealand has been the, the most fantastic success story in launching of, of wine. 25, 30 years ago, it didn't exist, um, and now it's the second biggest exporter of wine to the U.S. Um, Portugal just hasn't found that sort of hook yet. Um, Vino Verde is growing rapidly, which is great, um, and people are discovering it. And I think one of, the, one of the things that's going towards these regions and to their advantage is the fact that um, people are going towards lower alcohol wines, less yeah. extractive, less new-world style, and, and they're going to these more old-world old world style wines so, uh, 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 that their day is coming.
1: It would be doing the category a disservice to talk about ports and Madeiras in the short amount of time that we have i'd I'd like to ask you, would you come back and maybe come back after the auction to talk about mm-hmm. the results of the auction, but to also maybe talk about um ports and madeiras with us and and the categories that had a really influential role in establishing your family's legacy in wine, especially with the Burgundies and Bordeaux's. It'll be really interesting. Do you have any predictions about what you think will happen in terms of performance? Or Is this, is this unfair because this collection is so remarkable and so clean that, um, and inscrutable that, that it, it'll just get giant prices because it's the best of the best?
2: Yeah, and this this collection does have great ports of Madeira's in it, but actually Christie's, in I think in September or October, are holding a Madeira sale. It's the first time a wine auction has ever been devoted only to Madeira, and it's going to be a spectacular. So between the Benicinosi sale in July and before we get to that Madeira sale, we should come and do it. Yeah. There she is.
3: Not not to be outdone, not to be outdone. <laughs> before, um,
1: before we wrap all this up, Carol, um, I, I want to come back to you because we're heading into Father's Day weekend. You were talking mm-hmm. to your dad earlier about about the collection and we'll remind everybody before we wrap today that the collection is being sold by Christie's and that collection is one of the great collections of wine ever assembled in the modern era. In part with Michael ba- Broadbent, uh, Bartholomew's dad, at his at his role at Christie's. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Hey. Look at that!
2: Sorry, I'm just showing you my Madeira and my ping pong room.
1: And, and that and that you can find. It's it's in the marketplace.
2: Yeah, so you can buy this Broadbent Madeira um, most places uh, in the U.S. Um, I mean, good good wine shops, or you can order it.
1: And what is the tradition of Madeira that if people have not been introduced to it, when did I serve it and what would I serve it with?
2: Well, really, it's a sort of after-dinner dessert wine. It has a very high acidity, so it goes even with balsamic or citrus. It has a It's a sweet wine, but it has a dry finish, so it doesn't destroy desserts when you put it, the sweetness levels don't clash, but it was the biggest-selling wine in America until prohibition. It was the founding father's wine. It really is a July Fourth wine. This is what you should be drinking on July Fourth. Um, should you uh, drink it when you read this book? Absolutely, you should it be cares drinking. It pairs
3: very well with the book, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, and and when you start a, a, a in a restaurant, I hope you uh, mentioned that the success of a good restaurant is, is the, the ingredients. So if you're gonna um, if you're gonna cook with Uh, Madeira, you've got to cook with one, Mm. true Madeira, one that you actually enjoy drinking. Otherwise, it's like using wilted salad. What Um, is
1: the most famous dish in which Madeira is used in in cuisine?
2: So I did a cooking course when I was um, 18. And uh, uh, about two months later, I was living in cognac in France as a tour guide for Hennessy, And I gave myself food poisoning. Um, so after that, I started putting Madeira in almost everything. So I, even with a filet mignon, I just cook in Madeira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can cook French onion
0: soup. There. I bet it's good in French onion soup as well.
2: Oh, it's good in everything. Madeira is the most versatile wine, it's, it's delicious. And you, so you can cook with it, um, and you should cook with it. And if you feel inclined, you can even put it into the food you're cooking and stop drinking it.
1: We have uh, cheese expert Laura Whirlin on with us on Monday. Which of the cheeses that Laura Madeira? might have with us would you pair Madeira with? That's cheesy,
2: well, Jennifer. So the only, the only thing, if it's a blue cheese, I put port with blue cheese. But with every other type of cheese, I put um, Madeira. Uh, it goes with everything. Because of that high acidity, it really goes with everything. And it's indestructible. When you open a bottle, you can keep it open for... Decades and it doesn't go off. Just keep its topper on so dust doesn't get in but and
1: keep it, it in the refrigerator
2: Yeah, I mean I, I've been telling people you can keep a, um, a Madeira in the trunk of your car all summer long and it's going to be fine. In fact, I tested that a couple of years ago I put it put, <laughs> put a bottle about this full in the trunk of my car in in April and I completely forgot about it until I was having a, a dinner party in August. And I had these people over and we ran out of Madeira. Well, actually, I just didn't want to go down to the cell and m- open my best stuff. So I ran out to the car and I grabbed a bottle and poured it. And it was perfect, except I had to put ice cubes down because it was too hot from the trunk of the car in Virginia. But I, it just lasts forever. It's indestructible. You Virginians, e mm-hmm. e
1: now <laughs> listen, this weekend would be the Food and Wine Classic at Aspen weekend. Of course, oh, no. it's been canceled this year. And that was the other reason why I was so happy to have us all assembled here. Um, and even though we're not together, I feel like we're having our Aspen moment. Um, and I have to ask, is, is there one Aspen memory from this crazy event that stands out in each of your minds?
2: Well... For me, it's it's the after parties when you're drinking. Yes, <laughs> four, you're drinking Madeira or Port at four in the morning in someone's condo, and and it's like the, the oxygen just keeps. It's like kind of like being in Las Vegas, where in a casino that you just you're just wide awake all night long, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Yeah, there. I probably hosted a few of those after parties, so I definitely remember those. I think for me, the one I was just kind of laughing about when I thought about it was: Do you remember on Sunday they would have the classic cook-off, and it would always be maybe Sissy it was Jacques Pépin so, Yeah, and Sissy and Biggers would would moderate that. It'd always be like yeah. Bobby Flay versus somebody, you know, was big name chef Jacques,
1: and then um, and who was his uh, other Who's friend? Well, Jacques, oh, I can, can picture
2: name. him,
3: Jean Claude maybe I feel like he also cooked for the French president, but, uh, but one year it was Jose Andreas and Ming Tsai yes. and they're cooking and, you know, and Sissy's kind of egging them both on and Jose's yelling across the, the stage at Ming, what are you cooking? What are you cooking? And, um, and he describes something and, and Jose kind of walks over, you know, and sticks a finger in, like, I want to taste it. And, and, um, they were joking around, but at one point, Jose grabs Ming and kisses him on the lips. <laughs> and and, and he, Ming is just in shock. He's just like, and, and he's like, it tastes like olive oil. <laughs> That's
2: one, of my,
1: one of my favorite um, memories that I can talk about. Um, we were at one of the after parties and I was with Gina Gallo and a bunch of friends. And somehow, she disclosed that she'd never been taught how to saber a bottle of champagne. Maybe it was at the mum's house. And uh and I said, You're kidding. And she and she had never been taught. And so I, I said, I happened to have the gear, and uh and so I taught Gina Gallo how to saber a champagne. There and you you know. practicing and, and it was and, and she, she got it and it was kind of fun um, because that will be a tradition that lives on in another great wine family.
2: I think we could all write stories about Aspen. You know, after doing it for 30 years, one 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 year I had to do an eight in the morning tasting and uh, I just went in my pajamas. And
3: <laughs> Did anyone show up? My God. I feel like no. people always are hung over. No, you know, I
1: mean, Bartholomew, seriously, your events were so coveted because you were oftentimes opening bottles that were so historic and so special and so remarkable that that they may be the only time any of us would ever be in the same room with something that remarkable. Um
2: yeah. one of the on the twenty-fifth anniversary, I they asked I, I did a screaming eagle tasting and I had to scour the collectors to get. 10 vintages of Screaming Eagle, that was pretty special.
1: But that was a very uh, coveted ticket that day.
2: Yeah. I basically gave tickets away to all the Costco buyers and so they would be totally indebted to me and buy lots of wine from me afterwards <laughs> you're not supposed to admit that uh,
1: Bartholomew do you have a house I mean we know you have the most extraordinary family crest and and corporate logo but do you have a do you have a house a house a family toast or a house toast a broadbent toast that you share with friends and guests
2: a toast like a cheers toast or yes. No, I just open the bottle and drink it.
3: Well, you know what mine is. No. Chin Chin. Oh. Oh.
1: (laughs) I love it. And on that, the auction is coming up. We'll have all the details. We'll post them in Food and Beverage Magazine. Carol Chin Chin, I love you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing the story. And who's this?
2: Zoe. Is this uh, this show online? Can I post it on my Facebook afterwards. Possibly.
1: Absolutely, and we'll, and we'll send you all the links. Bartholomew right. Broadbent, it is summertime coming up on the first day Maybe of summer, go. and there are no finer selections with which to sip the summer months in soothing fashion than Broadbent selections, including the Vino Verde Rosé, which has been declared one of the sips of the season and sips of the year. Um, we want to thank you for coming and joining us today. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Wow. He
0: go? Everybody's gone. You, you over-talked again. I told you. You've got to watch. you got to see what's going on. You're chatty and chatty and chatty. You don't even know what's going on anymore, right? You love him. Stop fangirling. What's wrong with you? What's going on with you today? This is a day about me, remember? It's my day. I got the book Well, later.
1: we're going we're gonna to wrap up. <laughs> we, we're going to talk about the book. We've got to talk about the book. How does it How, it, how, it, how does it look? It looks good. It looks
0: like Whether you're
2: thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Pulitz has written a must read the food and beverage magazines guide to restaurant success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes and Noble, Amazon books, a million or wherever fine books are sold.
1: That's Think all.
0: I, oh, I didn't, I didn't have, I have to add Broadbent.com because that's yeah. where fine books are sold too.
3: Yes.
0: Right. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? All right, Jennifer, let's get our weekend going. Let's get the kids screaming. Hey, listen, I got to, I got to sign books now.
1: I want to say happy father's day to you.
0: It was nice. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy father's day to you. Thank you. That's a weird thing to say,
2: but
1: hug your kids, count your blessings, have an extraordinary weekend, happy summer. And remember, We'll be here next week. We've got big time fun next week with great guests, including the one and only Laura Whirlin. She's one of the world's leading experts on cheese, and she's always the most, uh, I would say, popular presenter at Aspen because who doesn't love cheese? Cheese.